What a fine job. Way to lead us in singing this morning. Sanctus Choir and our handbells. Almost like the preacher should stand down and let the musicians get after it. They do such good, good work. So grateful for that. Would you please join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we're here by your grace. We stand before you by your grace. And our hearts long for that acceptance and that grace that comes in Jesus. So open the eyes of our hearts to see what you would have us see in your word today. And bless us as we hear your word of grace and grace alone. In Jesus' name, amen. How'd you sleep last night? Sleep okay? Some might be asleep in the next 10 minutes, and I get that too, if you didn't sleep well last night or what happens, but how'd you sleep last night? We opened the windows last night where our house was. There was fire and ash, and it was kind of nice to open the windows and feel the cool of the Southern California air. And so I sleep like a bear. I go to bed and sleep, and I'll fall asleep in five minutes with my snoring and all that stuff, and... It just works great. Sleep hard, either from exhaustion and being tired or maybe from being on a mission trip and sleeping on a cot for five nights. But man, last night just slept like a rock. It felt great, like an old bear kind of sawing away in the back of his cave. But there are those nights. There are those nights. And typically, if I fall asleep for about 10 minutes and then I wake up, then all bets are off on when I'm going to fall back asleep. Because my brain starts twisting, starts going on this and that and this and that, thinking about family and future, worried about culture and where it's headed, worried about people of the church and where the church is going and how it is and how it feels and people who've lost loved ones and people who are sick. And I'll roll around for about 20 minutes and then I'll get up and I'll go, well, I got to have something to drink like an child, if I have a little milk or something, I'll be okay. And then I make the big mistake of turning on the television and seeing what's on TV. And that's a bad move as well, because that equals more anxiety and less sleep. How did you sleep last night? How do you sleep in general? For some people, they barely sleep at all. For Dr. Luther, Dr. Martin Luther, whose celebration, reformation we celebrate over these weeks in our Sola series, he had trouble sleeping. And the German word for what he had was called anfektum, anfektum. And no one really knows exactly what it means, but it was this condition of the soul that just ground him up. And when the lights went out and things became dark, Dr. Luther's conscience struggled. No matter what, he couldn't get his arms around being saved by grace or God being a gracious God. Luther saw God as punitive and angry and judgmental or judging. And so he would run those pictures and those scenarios through his mind's eye. And never did he come out with, well, I've done enough to be saved. It's all good. I think I'll go to sleep. He did everything. He was a monk. He served the Lord. He's a devout religious teacher. He preached the gospel, but something was missing. He didn't sleep. His conscience had these terrors. In Eric Metaxas' new book about Dr. Luther, fantastic book, he tells the story of Luther going into confession. And he snuck into the confessional booth and he confessed sins for about 20 to 25 minutes. 
Luther would then go out of the confessional, turn right around and go right back in, and he would say, I now need to confess my sin of not being repentant enough and not being repentant about being repentant enough. Finally, at one point, the father confessor to whom he was confessing his sins said, Martin Luther, you should commit a grievous sin. Beat somebody up, steal something, because you keep coming to me with all of these trivial little sins. But no matter what he did, he had no rest. The confession, the penance, the absolution, nothing really calmed that restless soul, that terrorized conscience. Now, I don't know about everybody here this morning, but I know about me, and I know about what I see and understand in the culture. And in our culture, I don't see a lot of unfectune. I don't see a lot of people spending the night up uh, being sorry for their sins, being terrorized by conscience. I see in our day and our time, the issue is that grace has been made cheap because it's free, thereby it's cheap. So I can do whatever I want and live this way and do that. And God has to forgive me because after all, he's God and Jesus died on the cross. And that's kind of how it works. It's free. Like the spigot of water that the children turn on in the backyard and waters the grass for five days until you turn it off. It's cheap. It's free. It's no big deal. But someone had to pay the bill. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote these words about cheap grace. He said, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, and grace without Jesus Christ. He goes on in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, to say, cheap grace seeks to justify the sin rather than justify the sinner. We know what that sounds like. Sometimes we sound that way, but we see it everywhere. You know, it was just a personal choice. It wasn't that bad. I made that choice and I'm going to stand on it. And you as a Christian need to forgive me and love me and accept me just as I am because you're a person of grace. Well, wait a minute. Your Christian freedom and what you've chosen to do is immediately against what God has said you're supposed to do. What about that? Well, I don't really care about that. What I really care about is that you give me grace so that I feel like I'm okay with you and we can all just get along as I live my life the way I want to live my life. Don't be judgmental. Be gracious. Accept everything, everyone, every behavior, every way of life. Accept it all and just live and let live. No discipleship, no transformation, Grace for that person means finding the lowest possible bar and kind of sneaking over it quietly, winking and waving at Jesus on the cross and saying, thanks for dying for my sins. Now I'll do exactly as I please. Justifying the sin rather than justifying the sinner. And then there's a little thing in our own tradition, a little bit, and, and I fall into that all the time, that somehow grace is the answer to every question. Well, what are we all about? Well, we're all about grace. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure it means I need to be nice to everyone all the time. 
When you have a particular issue in a school with a family or an issue where people are in conflict, they say, well, you're not acting very gracious. Meaning, I'm not getting my way and you should do what I want because you're the soft one, you're the weak one, you're the gracious one, and Jesus died so everything's okay, right? And with that, there's a robe of religiosity that says grace and Jesus is the answer to every question under the sun. Dr. Luther was smarter than me and smarter than probably just about every one of us here when it comes to the Bible and what the scriptures say. And in knowing every answer to every question of the day, Dr. Luther still couldn't sleep. As a matter of fact, he thought his onfecting was, onfecting was brought on by the presence of Satan, trying to derail him and trying to keep him away from the word and from the gospel. Fascinating to think about. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote these words too. Costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. It is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter two, verses four and five, which Pastor Rossell read for you a few moments ago, these words, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved. Sin may be an affront between person to person, but at the end of the day, sin is an affront between God and man. Sin puts the barrier, sin breaks, sin damns, sin decries, sin creates guilt, sin creates shame. And we kind of put a little veneer over it and say, well, there's a little bit of magic pixie dust grace. It's all going to be fine in our souls, in our consciences, in the inner self, in who we are. We never really reckon that. Sin is a God-sized problem and it needs a God-sized answer. And the only grace that's amazing is the grace that comes from Jesus. A grace that justifies the sinner rather than justifies the sin. A rich and costly grace is the grace which Dr. Luther brought back to the focus and the forefront of the church. A grace that's found in Christ on the cross. A grace that once rediscovered and once brought for him, brought peace for him in his life. And I'm not sure if he ever had nights full of marvelous sleep, but he found relief for his soul in the grace of Christ on the cross. A God-sized answer of sin needs a a God-sized problem of sin needs a God-sized answer in Christ. And when we miss that understanding, grace becomes a cheap commodity like a bumper sticker on a car or maybe a tip left on a table. It's second thought and kind of what's left over. But the grace we proclaim and the grace within which we live is a costly grace. A grace that cost God the life of his son. 
A grace that is so thorough and so rich that it forgives our sins. It delivers to us a freedom from that guilt where the the, the luggage of guilt is kind of cut away from the heel of the sinner. I love this story in Genesis chapter 3 where the sin has broken everything down and God comes down and, and, and Adam starts to argue with God a little bit. He does what sinners do. He says, well, it wasn't about me. It was about Eve. It was her fault. The, the woman you sent, it's about you and her colluding. And Eve says, well, it ain't about me. It's about the snake. And then, and God says, down the road, through generation after generation, I'm going to fix this problem of sin. And a Messiah is going to come. And when he comes and is raised up on the cross, you will see the sacrifice given for grace. Luther believed and saw an angry God when he closed his eyes and went to sleep. His gift to us is a God of grace found in Jesus Christ. The answer for our sin, the answer for damnation is the life of Jesus on the cross for you and me. Grace is in abundance, but it's rich and costly grace. Delivered not with a pipe dropper like the church did at the time of Luther, but gushed and lavished and splashed upon us through the love of God. God who is rich in mercy, Paul writes. God who loves you. God's grace is yours and mine. A grace that sets us right with God, that forgives our sins. A grace for which there is no substitute in our life. But a grace that allows us to close our eyes, to sleep, and to live under the umbrella of God's kindness. You used to come to church to kind of work off your guilt. Those were the good old days. The money that the Pope and the church made off of the Germans as the money from Germany went over the Alps into St. Peter's Basilica and all of those things. There was no amount of money that would assuage the conscience. There was no amount of money that would assuage guilt or cover shame. And so Dr. Luther reclaimed, rediscovered, and brought to the forefront grace and grace alone. And so our guilt finds dissolution at the cross of Christ. We need not fear an angry and beleaguered God who's kind of trying to figure it out as he goes. Rather, we have a God who had a deliberate plan in Christ and executed that plan when Jesus died for us on the cross. A God who in his plan delivers forgiveness and closeness and peace with God through the gift of Christ on the cross. And that frees us from guilt. And our ancestors were so committed to that that rather than diluting that with other doctrine and other practice, they came across the Atlantic and said, we're going to preach grace and grace alone. And then there's the issue of shame. And in the Lutheran church, Shame is never used to poke at you. It's never used to create a lever and a wedge and say, well, if you just did a little more, you might feel a little more forgiven. If you did a little more, you might be a little closer with God. If you just kind of bellied up on a little better offering, a little more service, a little more of this and that, then maybe you'd sleep a little better at night. God does not toy with us, stringing us along like strings on a puppet. We do not fear sin. 
because our Lord Jesus has covered our sin with his righteousness and we belong to Jesus and we are sheltered in his grace and in his grace alone. So how are you sleeping? Some of you have slept for the last 15 minutes. It's time to wake up because we're going to sing a little bit. Dr. Heidi's going to turn that organ on. What was that grace? That was a good, good sermon on grace. There are still those nights where I don't sleep as well as I should. Sometimes it's self-afflicted when I have a soda or something with caffeine after 7 o'clock. And in my old decrepit age, it just keeps me awake till 12 and my mind spins. And as my mind spins, I think about the various anxieties of the day. Think about the things I've done wrong, people I offended and hurt, how maybe had I said this or that or been kinder and this and that, things might have gone a different way. I, I do worry about the culture and I worry about politics, and I worry about money, and I worry about my own sins, sins that only me and God know about because they're that personal and that private. And I wrestle around on that bed and I can't get comfortable and I can't get the pillow to work right and the pillow gets warm instead of cool like I like it and, and I'm awake. But it's then that I turn around from my own stuff, from my own sin and from my own shame and from my own guilt. And with shoulders worn down, and a conscience worn out, I follow up the road of sorrows with Jesus to the cross. And in my mind's eye, I see Jesus right here, typically looking something like that. And it's as if Jesus reaches out and says to me, Timothy, Timothy, I love you. My peace is with you. You are my son, and my grace is abundant and lavish and rich for you. Sometimes there's a tear that goes down the side, and typically things become a little more peaceful. And there my Savior, by grace alone, takes that burden from me. And somehow, my eyes get droopy. My heart rate slows, and there is rest to be found in God's amazing, amazing grace. Amazing because it's free in Christ. Valuable because of the blessing it brings to the soul and the peace that God gives, that gives us rest. Life reformed, sola gratia. We live by grace and grace alone. Amen? Amen. Please join me for a word of prayer. Lord, it's good to be here today. It's been just a time of craziness. Recount things like shootings and floods and fires, all of those pieces of life. And in the broken pieces of that, we're reminded of your grace that covers, your grace that engages, your grace that draws close. I pray this morning, Lord, for those who struggle with that issue of sleep and conscience, 
and maybe they don't have the onfectum of Dr. Luther, but it's just the anxiety of the times and the moment. Grant them, along with all of us, those footsteps back to the cross, back to your grace, which is rich and free and costly. Be with us. Grant us the peace that comes from knowing you. In Jesus' name.